Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Today, Dr. Scott Guthrie, TIPQC Infant Medical Director, is joined by Leanne Sutton. Leanne works at Jackson Madison County General Hospital in Jackson, Tennessee. She leads their perinatal bereavement program, and she is certified in perinatal loss and bereavement, and is soon to be a certified perinatal mental health coordinator. Today, we discuss this unique role and how we can learn from her work to best take care of our mothers during a NICU stay, especially when there's a loss involved. Leanne has started a program called Butterflies Embrace in Jackson that walks families through trauma with the hope of ultimately turning these experiences into something beautiful. We invite you into this intimate discussion. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast. Today, I have Leanne Sutton visiting us. Let me introduce Leanne to everybody. Leanne works at Jackson Madison County General Hospital, where she leads the perinatal bereavement program. She is certified in perinatal loss and bereavement and is soon going to be certified as a perinatal mental health coordinator. She is a social work coordinator at the hospital as well and is very active in the hospice and palliative care team in the neonatal intensive care unit and on our perinatal floors. Leanne, do you want to say hello to everybody? Hello. Thank you so much for letting me be on this. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you joining us and educating our audience about what you do and the importance of paying attention to the issues that our mothers can have when they have babies in the neonatal intensive care unit, especially when there's a loss involved. Exactly. So we're going to get you to educate our audience today. And the first thing I want you to do is tell everybody what perinatal actually means, because if you've not been involved in this area of medicine before, you may not be familiar with that word. So perinatal is actually that pregnancy stage. So you're talking about from conception all the way through the pregnancy. I work with those families directly during that pregnancy time, any issues that come up and then immediately following the delivery. So you're talking about even once they even identify that they're pregnant. So they may be visiting their obstetrician, realize they may have a problem or maybe one of the high risk maternal fetal medicine doctors, you get involved at that point. Yes. And so all the way through the birthing process, they have a baby that may have a problem. You're there and your team is there to support them into the neonatal intensive care unit as well. Right. Great. And this is what we want to get you to tell us all about today, how we can help people in this area. But to start with, if you could have a gigantic billboard that would tell people about what you do or tell people about the importance of supporting those who are going through difficult situations and loss or just anything at all, what would it say on that? What would you want to share with the world? 
Yeah. I say this all the time, and I always try to make sure that people understand that grief is grief and loss is loss. So there is no hierarchy of one type of grief being worse or better than another type. And the same thing for loss. It doesn't matter if the loss occurred 15 years ago or if it occurred last week. If you've not really had the support that you need, that loss is still going to impact how you grieve. And so That's really what I'm all about, is supporting people at those moments of loss and grief. One of the things that you came to my attention about is this program that you started at the hospital where you work. It's called Butterflies Embrace, right? Yeah. Pretty unique name, right? I know. I love that. So tell us about how you got the idea for this program, how you got the idea for this name. Just tell us about what all Butterflies Embrace does. So the name is pretty unique in the sense that we thought of the transformation, the transition that someone goes through when they experience grief and how they transform, hopefully, into a better person. That's our goal is taking a trauma, taking something that's really traumatic in your life which could be a complete negative if you don't have the support you need and turning that into something that's beautiful and positive and that you learn from. And that's what a butterfly does. A butterfly starts out as this really raw and not very pretty insect and blooms and changes into this really beautiful, colorful insect. And so it's just a really cool transformation. And so we pattern that kind of grief after the butterfly. Another reason is the butterfly is actually the symbol of grief. Universally, that's the symbol that most people understand is grief. We actually use the color purple in our program name and our logo because purple is the color of bereavement. And so it just all fit together that the butterfly and how the embrace of a butterfly is very light touch and very gentle, but actually can fly and do so many things. And so the butterfly is a really good symbol for basically everything that we embody in our program. So what all does Butterflies Embrace do? So we started with a basic concept of a bereavement program. So a couple of years ago, back in 2015, actually, the hospital began to propose this program they thought maybe might happen. And so I had been with the hospital for a long time doing adult hospice care. That's my background. That's what I've loved all my life. And there never really was a program in the hospital for babies. It took a while, but when they gave their full support, that blessing of God just landed in my lap and it was the right time. It was the right opportunity. And they said, if you could do a bereavement program for babies, how would it look? And I began to talk about, have you thought about using a hospice piece and maybe a palliative care division? And that wasn't even on the radar. And so that's how we all connected what our goal was for the program. It started out with basically, how do we support a family during bereavement care? How do you take care of a family and support them when they've lost a child at any age during pregnancy, immediately after birth, to a SIDS death or a tragic accident? How do you support a family? I patterned the program, basically what I knew from hospice. How they do bereavement care is monthly mail outs centered around grief topics support groups, and home visits. That's what I knew. I knew it worked. I knew the pattern behind it. And so that's what I started with. After that, we quickly realized that if you don't see the mom and dad at the moment when the baby is actually 
in critical condition or at time of delivery, the relationship's not there. It's really difficult to have a family welcome you into their life if they don't trust you. So having them know you before that time comes was really important. So that's when we started bedside care, actually being in deliveries or during that time around that. And then we actually went to see our high risk specialist and said, would you be okay with allowing us to be part of the ultrasounds and listening to the medical advice that you're giving to help families understand it? And he was completely on board. And so it just grew from one simple we're going to have contact with moms and dads after the death to now we're going to build a team that can help a family through a pregnancy. And now we're going to build a team that actually can do home visits and be part of their pregnancy journey. It really just evolved into something. Really, it snowballed is what happened. There were so many families that needed the care. It just snowballed into the program it is today. Wow. So that's what I want to do is give people the idea that you had that they can take to the hospital, their hospitals and recreate this or do something like this at their hospital. So you just talked about a team of people that are involved in this. What all types of people are on your team? If you were to give advice to people on, hey, here's what you need to have in order to grow and develop this, who needs to be on the team? Yeah, I am so much an advocate for the team concept because I've seen that work so beautifully in the in-home setting of hospice care and having different disciplines that can bring their own expertise, it just works. And when you are part of a team and you trust each other, you're never in competition. You're always working together. And so that's what I knew. I knew that as a social worker, I had certain skills that a nurse didn't have. And so you need a nurse, you need a physician that has medical knowledge that I don't have. And so that plays well together. You also need someone who has a spiritual division. So a chaplain is really important. And that was a key concept in hospice care where I came from. Immediately, those were the ones that I wanted to build first. And so having a social worker, having a chaplain, and then really building relationships with nurses and physicians. Later, we began to realize probably in the next maybe six months to a year after we started that there were a lot of families who already had children and this was not their first child. And so wanting to help the other siblings, we realized we needed someone from that area too. And so we involved our child life specialists. Now branching out a little bit more, we're actually working with a therapist in our area who specialize in grief and bereavement and in postpartum needs. And so continuing to build people into this safety net we're creating around moms and dads that help them have all the support they need so that hopefully, even though it's something tragic they're going through, they can find a positive way to help them transition their grief into something more positive. So this is a program that doesn't just walk with the family at the hospital, but this team is involved after the event has happened. Yes. Once the family's back at their home. Tell us about that. What I knew worked from hospice was an extension of bereavement care over like 12 to 13 months. That first year is really critical in any type of grief, any type of loss, because you hit so many milestones and so many anniversaries during that first year. And things change. Your family changes. Each person may be grieving differently. 
individual may need different types of support. The year concept of actually providing mail outs that have different grief topics specifically for what that family is going through, mom and dad, and then building in mail outs, a sibling bag or something that we could include for children and how they can get referred for child therapy and play therapy and music therapy. All of that just became necessary. We realized that grief is not going to stop when that family leaves the hospital. It's going to continue. And without support, they may or may not have the coping skills they need. Not everyone comes from a really supportive family system and maybe not connected spiritually in their community. They may not have a really great neighborhood they live in that has a lot of support. If we can build that in for them during their time of grief, it just gives them a better chance to have something positive at the end of that journey. So what kind of feedback do you get from the families with a program like this? Really positive. There are going to be some families who this may not be the right fit. They may think, I've got all the support I need. I'm connected in church. My kids are doing well. I have a great marriage. I really don't need the follow-up. Most of the time, we realize if they're really not ready for that type of intensive follow-up, a contact every month or so, and a phone call, and in-home visits, or now virtual visits, we try our best to say, okay, so if you're not really needing that one-on-one support... Would you be okay if we just sent you a newsletter every month, give you some tips and tricks on how to deal with grief and what you might be experiencing? And so we find a way that we can just stay connected as much as possible. We also have a Facebook group. If the family or the mom or dad really doesn't want the whole package, we try to individualize it and say, okay, if you don't need this, can we at least do one thing for you? And so you build it in and eventually most every family comes to a point where they need a little extra help. They've hit a rough spot. They've ran into this brick wall of grief and they just can't get around it. It's really complicating their marriage. It's complicating their spirituality. It's complicating their other family you know, members and their children. And so that's when they reach back out to us. So staying in contact with the family through 13 months was really a critical decision we made. One of the other things I've heard about your program, too, is the education that you do with the nursing staff. Tell us what you do with the nurses to help them with the grieving process and their interactions with the families. Yeah, I love this part of the program. Once we had a really good team that was gelling and that we felt like we had the components we needed, we realized that even with just two or three or four of us on the team, that's not enough people. You unfortunately can have multiple deaths during a week and multiple consults, and you just don't have enough energy. We really felt it was important not only to educate our staff, our women's and children's staff, anywhere from the PCTs to the nurses to even EVS and dietary people who work on our floor. It's really important for them to know that they could be walking into a room with one of our families and what they could expect to see and to hear and what's an appropriate way to interact with that family. But also, how do you take care of yourself? Because you can't do this every day and not have some of it affect you. You have to have really good support yourself. That's what our training class is all about. It's about teaching the staff really good tips and tricks on how to have a relationship with our families and how to assess what they need and explain our program so that every family is open to that possibility. But then also, how do you support yourself? How do you go back to work the next day when you just experience this really traumatic moment with a family? 
that's really, I think, the best thing that's come out of our program is we really help our staff focus on self-care. And then when COVID hit, it just heightened everything. It was really important for our staff to love each other and to take care of each other and to be open to talking about when you experience death on a daily basis, it changes you. And how do you go on? How do you live through that? So I'm really, really proud of that piece of our program too. We've got medical, we've got nursing people that are listening to this podcast as well. So give us in a nutshell, how do those of us who deal with these issues on a daily basis sometimes, what can we do to take care of ourselves? Because it is hard. Yeah, it's really important. I think the way that I explain it is a standard answer. It's going to be like, oh, take care of yourself and do those things that make you happy. But it doesn't work for everyone. I also talk about in class, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I'm so pro the therapy that's needed. That's part of what social workers do when you're in training and you're in school. You're required to actually go into therapy while you're in college so that you can work through your own issues before you go out and help others. I talk to our staff about like, I think everyone needs therapy. I truly believe that that is what has saved me through all of the traumas I've experienced in my life. It's just another way that you can become more in touch with your own emotions. And it doesn't mean that you put yourself into a box and you neglect it, but you find a way to, when you're at work, deal with other people's needs. And then when it's time for you, you find a way to block that out so that you can really take care of yourself. And that's not something that everyone knows how to do well. And so we focus on that in class is what makes you happy? What can you do on a daily basis? Even if it's something very small for nurses, can you actually sit down and have lunch and go to the restroom multiple times during the day? You're so busy. You don't even take the time to do that sometimes. So you have to start with something small, but then work into things that actually bring you happiness and joy. It's a constant battle for our staff to not become overwhelmed. So we really rely on each other. If I see a nurse that's really struggling, I'm like, the next time that a family's come in and this is happening, she needs a break. We need to give her time that she doesn't go through this again. And so you have to really learn each other and trust each other. Wow. That is fantastic advice. Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard recently is that you've continued to develop this program, Butterflies Embrace, where they aren't only dealing with bereavement issues, but they're identifying mothers in the neonatal intensive care unit who are dealing with peripartum depression. Can you tell our audience a little bit about peripartum depression and why it's so important that we help identify these mothers and then help these mothers who are dealing with this problem? Yeah, yeah, it's really important. So what we're hoping to launch and make into an extension of our bereavement program is identifying and assessing mom's coping skills and any history of anxiety, depression, psychosis, really looking at was their birth traumatic, even if it wasn't a traumatic birth in the sense that the baby was in danger or the pregnancy was in danger, but in her mind, how did she deal with the trauma that she experienced during delivery? Because all of those things, if you've already had trauma in your life and you're more susceptible to anxiety, depression, then it's going to complicate how you bond with your baby. It's going to complicate how you take care of a baby that might have some physical challenges. And so that's a completely different type of support program. We just really began to see moms coming out of the NICU 
that had great care. They knew their baby was going to be healthy and happy, but they'd been in the NICU for so long. And even before that may have actually been on our AP side for months during the pregnancy, isolated, not being able to really enjoy the pregnancy the way they wanted to. And so all of that compounded how they felt they could take care of their baby when they were released from the NICU. And it just became evident that that's another extension of support that we can offer. There's a paper that came out about two to three months ago in the pediatric literature. Roughly 30 to 40 percent of mothers who have babies in the neonatal intensive care unit are dealing with postpartum depression because of the environment. And then there's also a very high number of those that go on and deal with post-traumatic stress disorder after time in the NICU. Does your program actually offer support to those mothers once they leave the NICU? Yes, that will be our eventual goal just as we do in the bereavement side of our program, to continue following up with moms after they're discharged from the NICU, building some type of support system around them, maybe when they go see their pediatrician, when they come back to our neonatal follow-up clinic for specific needs, being able to see the mom there, and then also doing another assessment. So you've been home for a couple of months. How are you doing now? What needs are you seeing that you have? How are you transitioning back into work? Because that's a reality that a lot of moms don't get a long maternity leave anymore because of financial issues. Any of those stressors can compound not only how moms are caring for their baby, but then any physical needs the baby might actually have that the mom is just not able to provide. And so if we can catch those things and assess those things early, mom has a better chance of recovering and having the support she needs either through therapy or medications or just our support in general, and then baby has a better outcome too. So it's a twofold answer. And since mental health care providers are so difficult sometimes to get into now, do you have somebody that once you've screened a mother and she tests positive on the screening tool for depressive symptoms, are you able to get that mother into help relatively quickly through this program? Yes. So we have a safety net program. So in the sense of if it's a really tragic crisis moment, We, of course, have our system pathways, which we can make an immediate referral to. But that's not always a quick answer. They're completely overwhelmed with the numbers right now. And all of that has increased since COVID. We've developed relationships with local therapists who we screen ourselves. We want to make sure they're a fit for the moms and even dads, too. We have a couple of therapists in Memphis who are specialized in perinatal mental health. And then we have a couple of therapists here in our area, all across West Tennessee, that are specialized in bereavement, PTSD, and anxiety. We've just built this network of providers around us that we're hoping we can, in the near future, bring together and really train them, in a sense, certify them so that they know specifically what our families are going to be needing. When we refer them, we give them a detailed assessment and we make sure that What did they screen? What were their numbers? What are their issues? What's their history? But then also, what traumas have they experienced? Trauma Mm -hmm. builds upon trauma. And so therefore, you have to deal with the whole family. So it could be mom or dad. That's why we look at the siblings too. All of this mental health needs and complications affect how you parent. We want to just assess and capture as much as we can of this family and get them involved in the support they need. So you mentioned tools a couple times. Is there a specific depression inventory tool that you're using that you want to share with the audience that you found to be helpful in this situation? 
we screen our moms with the EPDS, so the Edinburgh Depression Screening. It's a really good validated tool for depression and anxiety. It can be used either in person or on the phone. And so that's an easy way that we could do virtual visits on the phone sometimes or on FaceTime or Zooms. So it's validated for all of those needs. And it's a really easy 10-question tool that is great for any type of mom. We start with that. And then if we hit specific things like suicidal risk or we hit major anxiety or depressive disorders, that's when I'm going to like send to a therapist and I'm going to say, okay, this is what I have noted. Let's go ahead and screen with your tools because they have different tools than I do. But the most validated, easy to use has been the EPDS. Excellent. One of the things I've noticed that you've said too a couple of times are dads, dads in the NICU and I mentioned this study earlier, but the same study also looked at dads. And roughly 15 to 20% of fathers who have a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit are also dealing with major depression symptoms. How have dads taken to it? That has been a little different. I think that we found in bereavement care, dads needed a different approach. And so it was really important for us to have a male on our team, which is our chaplain. That's been a very good connection that we've built into our bereavement side. So we're also hoping to do the same thing in this program, that we also build in those maybe support systems for dads that maybe can connect in a different way than moms do. But just in the same way, EPDS can be used for anyone. So it's not necessarily just a gender-specific tool. We would love to screen both mom and dad with the EPDS at different intervals during their care because fathers are going to have increased risk if mom is also battling with anxiety or depression. All of those things tie in together. A happy mom and dad equals a happy baby. That brings me actually a good segue to my next question. People, when we talk about depression, people have a, a mental image of what the depressed person looks like. There can be all kinds of different symptoms that come with depression. Can you just tell our audience about some of the things that you see in both moms and dads that can be symptoms of depression that we may not normally think of? Well, of course, you're going to automatically see in some of those moms and dads, you're going to see just an inability to function in daily life. They just, they can't bond with their baby. They don't have a good relationship with each other. But then you've got other things like, do they have a lot of anxiety or OCD type symptoms around how care is provided to their baby? They get really anxious and really nervous when a new nurse comes in and they can't bond with that nurse. There's also things like just the sounds of being in a hospital room can trigger a lot of anxiety for moms and dads. Sometimes even just educating mom and dad about what the NICU in general is going to be like and what the differences in the sounds and what the tubes look like and what the IVs and the treatments, all of those things are really important in kind of proactively looking at how you can prevent any of these high anxiety moments or these OCD type things. So you've got those basics, but then you could also just have someone who has a history of drug abuse and they have reverted back to that. Any of those signs that you can read pretty quickly in meeting a family and assessing them, that's in a really good assessment tool. And so therefore, if you're looking for those things, unfortunately, you're going to see them in most families because it's hard. Life is hard and we all have trauma. You bring that to the table as you've now had a traumatic event happen with your baby. So talking to the providers again, yeah. doctors and nurses that are working with these families, 
what's some advice you would give to us? Things we can do to better care for families and their emotional needs, to better identify some of these problems so we can get people like you involved in their care. What would you tell the healthcare providers? I have to commend you because your team in the NICU do a really good job of taking care of babies and explaining to moms and dads, this is the procedures and this is what we're looking for. And these are the milestones we want to hit and help your baby grow and get better. But a lot of times we miss those moments of saying, mom, how are you? And not necessarily even saying that question that way, saying, how are you doing emotionally? Because that's a completely different question. Because her first answer is probably going to be, oh, I feel really good, like I'm recovering and I'm healing. But when you put the word emotionally in that question, it changes their answer. Just giving time for that sentence, that question in a conversation, okay, mom, you delivered three weeks ago. How are you doing emotionally? And most of the time, a mom is really going to be receptive to that question and is going to automatically say, you know, I feel so overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm not sleeping. I'm trying to be here visiting my baby all the time. I'm really worried about when my baby goes home, how can I do this? I don't know when to go back to work. Like there's just questions and answers that can come from that one sit down moment. I would just encourage not only providers, but also staff just to take an extra moment in a conversation with them all when you recognize that they might have this overwhelmed look on their face and just say, okay, mom, how are you doing emotionally? and see what the answer will be. Because most moms will tell you, wow, this is not what I expected. Mm, That's very good advice. Yeah. Very good advice. So as we wrap this up, I bet there is a hospital administrator listening or nurse manager listening or some healthcare provider somewhere listening to this who says, man, this is a good idea. We need to have something like this in our hospital. What information would you share with somebody who's looking to do what has been done with Butterflies and Brace, and then what resources could you share with them? So I would just encourage any hospital who is listening and they think, how do you get something like this started? It really is going to be a leap of faith because one, the death of babies is not a topic that's talked about a lot. Most people just stick their head in the sand and say, it doesn't happen. But when you actually start looking at the number of families that this affects, it should be basic care. It should be a standard of care across every hospital system. But that's been a struggle that we have found is other families coming from different hospital systems just in our area in Tennessee. They don't have the full program like we do. The family goes there for other treatment and then they come back to Tennessee and realize they need the support. And so they'll refer that family to us. I would encourage every hospital to just make it a priority to look at what numbers you have of anywhere from very early gestational losses, a miscarriage, all the way through full-term deliveries from a traumatic delivery or from a terminal diagnosis. Really look at your numbers because unfortunately, this is a very common thing. When you put that in numbers and there are families that you're missing, that you're not supporting in the best way possible, There's validation in a program to be recommended to your board or your funding source. Make it a priority and talk about it and get your information. But then I would encourage you also to think about who you already have in your hospital system because social workers, chaplains, child life specialists, all of those people are already employed probably in the hospital system. And if you can find someone who has the passion for this, 
then that's your key. Nurses and providers want to know how to take better care of families. There's never been a nurse that's come up to me and said, I don't want to do this. Everybody has been so receptive and said, we need this. How do I learn how to do this? Please help me. You'll find people become invested in a program once you make it a priority. And that's really where I compliment our hospital is they took a chance. They really made a commitment to saying yes to this program. And it has just grown and built into something that is so special. Yeah. So my message to the administrators, to the nurse managers that are listening, if you want to learn more about Butterflies Embrace, you have the opportunity at the Tipkey C 2022 conference. It will be March 7th and 8th. It's going to be in Nashville. Leanne and the Butterflies Embrace team will be there to host a workshop to give you some of the tools and information that you need to start a program like this, or at least begin to train people to contemplate starting a program like this at your facility. Leanne, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today, just giving us insight into what you have done and what you deal with on a daily basis. I think that certainly as a healthcare provider, this is something I need to be more in touch with and to make sure I'm walking this road with our families as well. Again, thank you so much. And I thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.